0: Hello everyone, and welcome to What Would Nurses Do, an original evidence-based practice podcast created by Nursing Students for Nursing Students, where we take a deep dive into the world of evidence-based practice and the history of some of the things we do as nurses. What Would Nurses Do is the most up-to-date, often funny, occasionally odd evidence-based practice podcast by Nursing Students for Nursing Students. Sometimes you just have to ask, why? I'm your host, Patrick Fajardo, and this is episode number 10. It's time to break free. And EBP review of restraint use in nursing American psychiatric nurses association position statement on the use of restraints recognizes that the ultimate responsibility for maintaining the safety of both individuals and staff in the treatment environment and for maintaining standards of care in the day-to-day treatment of individuals rest with nursing and the organizational leadership that supports care settings today i have guest speakers rebecca winters and johanna joe with me to discuss this topic Our episode will benefit those involved in psychiatric nursing care. We will talk about historical and present EBP relating to restraints. My first guest speaker, Rebecca Winters, will talk about historical aspects of restraint use in nursing.
1: Thank you so much for having me here today, Patrick. I'm just going to highlight a few historical examples of restraint use. In the past, restraints were largely used as a means to control patients who were considered unruly. We see examples of crude restraints in a collection of letters written by Benjamin Rush in the late 1700s. Rush was a highly distinguished physician during his time and served as Surgeon General in the Continental Army, so his professional opinion was well-respected. Rush believed that disruptions of blood circulation and sensory overload is what caused mental illnesses, so many of his treatment strategies involved sensory deprivation, including his most well-known restraint device, which he named the Tranquilizer. In one of his letter- letters, Rush described the tranquilizer as a cure for madness, as it binds and confines every part of the body. It was a chair that caused all the patient's limbs and trunk to be strapped down, and it had a wooden box that was used to confine the head, restricting head movement and blocking vision. Patients could be kept in this position and in this chair for up to 24 hours or until they were considered sedated. In 1949, nursing professor Elvin Santos and M.D. Edward Steinbrook reviewed psychiatric nursing in the 1800s. Through this review, they found the use of restraints were frequently challenged, causing the century to end with a drastic change in common practice. At the beginning of the century, for example, practitioners focused on mechanical restraints, such as leather muffs and wrist straps, Long leather sleeves, iron handcuffs, hobbles for legs, and restraint chairs or cribs in order to provide patient safety control or even breaks for staff. Nearing the middle of the century, after further debate on the negative effects of restraints, recommendations changed to endorse a decrease in the use of mechanical restraints. So practitioners turned their focus on chemical restraints, such as ether, chloroform, opium, morphine, bromide compounds and alcohol for prolonged sleep treatment. And by the end of the 1800s, some facilities were even accused of abusing chemical restraints. However, there are also some examples of some improvement on the ethics of restraint use over time. The 1925 article, Mechanical Restraint of Lunatics by Dr. Stanley Haynes, began by recommending that restraints should not be utilized on a, quote, lunatic, unless its use involved medical or surgical treatment or preventing harm towards self or others. Haynes wrote this article for psychiatric health personnel and further recommended practices such as using clothing made of strong linens, sheets, or towels to secure patients to their beds, documenting restraint use, monitoring patients continuously, incorporating breaks during restraint use, and discontinuing any use immediately upon goal attainment. Thank
2: you. Hello everyone, my name is Johanna Jo, and I'm so excited to be here today and discuss current evidence-based practices regarding the use of restraints in nursing. First of all, I want to bring up a meta-analysis published in 2017 called Educational Intervention on Physical Restraint Use in Long-Term Care Facilities. It includes 10 studies conducted in the US, Norway, Sweden, The Netherlands and Germany and concludes that physical restraint has an inadequate effect of protection and negative effects on patients and needs to be reduced through multiple component interventions. Next I would really like to discuss three articles relating to this topic. A current study on restraints called health consequences of using physical restraints in nursing homes examines whether physical restraint use contributes to subsequent physical or psychological health decline. The study hypothesizes that the use of physical restraints will cause lower subsequent psychological and physical health outcomes in nursing home residents. The independent variable is physical restraints measured through the type of restraint used and the dependent variable is psychological and physical outcomes. This longitudinal study was done on 254,000 nursing home residents using the minimum data set, the outlined survey certification, and recording system to collect data. The findings were that residents that were put in restraints experienced significantly worse outcomes in relation to physical and psychological effects compared to residents that were not restrained. Another current article on restraint use is Nurses' Knowledge, Attitudes, and Practices Related to Physical Restraint, a cross-sectional study. In this cross-sectional study, examining current attitudes towards restraint use, researchers used 200 questionnaires in four hospitals to determine how much nurses know about restraint use, how they feel about using them, and what they typically do in current practice. The researchers found that while nurses have a solid understanding of restraints, there is a gap in knowledge of indications for use. Common feelings around using restraints are guilt and embarrassment. However, the general consensus was that restraints are sometimes necessary to maintain patient safety, though there's evidence against us. The researchers empathized that alternatives to restraints should be exhausted before using restraints, and we should take into account ethical considerations, and facility protocol in every situation. Lastly, I want to discuss a qualitative research review, including 14 studies discussing nurses and consumers' shared experiences of seclusion and restraint in mental health. The researchers used a framework of five stages to create the review, including problem identification, literature search, data evaluation, data analysis, and presentation. While they believe that the use of seclusion and restraint is a controversial issue in mental health care, they also state that attitudes and views may differ if they had actual experiences of these practices. The review found that the shared experiences between nurses and consumers using seclusion and restraint was characterized by a disruption in care, a disruption in their therapeutic relationship, and shared negative impacts. The researchers concluded that consumers should receive recovery-oriented, trauma-informed and consumer-centered care, while nurses should be better supported through personal, professional and organizational developmental strategies before having to resort to the use of restraints. The review suggests that due to the shared experiences, consumers and nurses might best benefit through shared solutions and alternative interventions to seclusion and restraints. That should be the focus of further research. Patrick, thank you so much for having me today and allowing me to shine a spotlight on this topic.
0: EBP is moving towards calling an end for restraint use. Elimination programs have had some success in reducing the rates of restraint use by increasing the understanding of coercive practices through the perspectives of involved individuals. This may lead to the complete cessation of seclusion and restraint use from the nursing practice in the future. Future studies should focus on various categories of physical restraints that correspond to different types of psychological and physical outcomes. The findings impact clinical practice representing poor clinical practices and that it will be beneficial to reduce physical restraint use. It's time to break free of restraints. So that's our show for now. This is your host, Patrick Fajardo. Thank you to my guest speakers, Rebecca Winters and Johanna Joe and we thank you for listening to What Would Nurses Do?, the evidence-based practice podcast by nursing students for nursing students. Don't forget to join us for our next episode on Anchor or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.